Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. I'm Jeff and I'm joined as per usual by my good friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. These two, am I right? Yeah, you're right. Okay. These two, um, they often agree, but m- more frequently they disagree. That's on... not right. Is that right? I, I, I... See, you guys are disagreeing again. I think it's right. Do you think it's right? Well, usually well, you said it's right. So I have to say, okay, folks. So it's not right. I'm going to speak it's an outrage while they speak in the background and describe that on this podcast, Michael and Richard debate the most ubiquitous of any given topic, and the topic we chose this time around is the Mount Rushmore of of unusual children's TV premises. Bizarre. B- Some might even say bizarre kids TV show. Who premises. chose this? This is mine. What gets described? Um, there were a couple. I th- I think I've watched. Uh, basically, we I only watch kids TV anymore. <laughs> so as you're watching kids TV, Michael has children, or Richard s- has children. Yeah, they I've, both have children. Yeah, both have. Mine's my oldest one's ten, so I've ha- been exposed to this a lot more than Michael has, I think. And your kid's still sort of at the he's, sort of vaguely he's just over nine stage. months, and like he will pop in and out of maybe once a month. We Some put sixty on like minutes. A... <laughs> Loves it. <laughs> And uh, uh, like Game a, of Thrones, Game of Thrones, yeah. Bits and pieces of uh, you know Sesame Street here. Oh, okay. but he does. We, you know, he's too young to watch TV. Mm-hmm. And bizarre premises are things that you've encountered when. Yeah, it, the, the more you watch a lot of kids' TV, the more you realize that there are some really screwed up like concepts for shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of had to work through that a little bit with my choices because I had some choices on here where the show itself is absolutely mental. Yeah, but the concept may not be that strange it's oh, just okay. the way that they did it the, the way they actually presented it was yeah. like kind of insane yeah but believe me there are enough it, it feels like with kids show concepts you can go as broad and as crazy as you possibly can mm-hmm. and you can still get that green lit yeah what i'm trying to say is i think people who make kids shows do a lot of drugs uh, they got it oh absolutely you got to present yeah okay well uh richard came up with the topic so michael begins okay uh I all of my shows go from youngest to oldest. So as you grow up in age, oh. maybe you'll be a young kid, a, you know, a young toddler going and then my first show, The Premise, it's a British series about this weird post-apocalyptic landscape where babies have been fused with TV screens. Whoa. Language has been reduced to grunts, whistles, and echoes. <laughs> Our children are watched over by anthropomorphic vacuum cleaners yes, right. as the god baby smiles and coos down upon his creation. Yes. The show is, of course, Doctor Who. Oh, tell, <laughs> oh. tell the um, From 1997 to 2001, this is uh, a show for babies. It's a show about these weird, waddling, baby-like colorful creatures yeah. that just waddle and get into trouble and do non make nonsense words mm-hmm. and the babies freaking love them. It is it is a show that is designed for like an 18 month old. Yes. Mm. Where all they're responding to is color yeah. and sounds and and repetition. Yeah. Kids kids that age love repetition. Yeah. So a lot of the times they would do the again again and then they would just play basically the same thing that you had just yeah. seen they would just like replay it yeah when Have, you when you peekaboo is like is really complicated for you <laughs> yeah then you can repeat tinky winky rolling down a hill over and over again and I somebody can, got paid for to write that by the way uh, mm. uh, having FYI. a nine-month-old i can appreciate a show like this yeah 
where he's, I mean, he's, the show was, it's weird. It was only on for four years, but they put out 400 something episodes. Yeah. I guess you, you just gang tape them all back to mm-hmm. back and you're just like, let's just roll. Let's see what yeah. we get and let's cut it up. But, um, you know, like Richard said, it's the repetition. Like my son, Felix likes doing the same things over mm-hmm. and over. He likes silly things and he likes putting a block in the choo-choo train yeah. over and over and over. So I could, so you can see how a show like this. You know, it's only for, like Richard said, 18-month-olds. It's mm-hmm. not for anyone else past that. But you watch it as, like, all of these things, I think, are, why they become bizarre is that you see them through the eyes of an adult. Yeah. And you see these four weird characters with sure. these weird things sticking on their head. And they're just so strange and foreign and human, mm-hmm. lifelike. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. And then the show tops off with this cooing baby head in the sun. Yeah, and you're just like, what did I watch? <laughs> like, I know that like this show had a little bit of like an ironic teenage like it's cool to like the show mm-hmm. as a teenager in a rave sort of yeah. sense. Oh yeah. sure, yeah, wearing those Jinko pants yes. or whatever. Yeah, okay. I, I'm sh- you know this show was merged to hell. Yeah, and back like at, there was a. Tinky Winky everything. There was a what are the ne- one that I It doesn't seem names. like it is far, far off what a drug fueled hallucinogenic uh, hellscape would be. Um, like a, a bad like, trip. Yeah, like everything's bright, big and bright, and yeah. like large shape, large shape. Yeah, you're. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine watching E on the show because you'd just be like, yeah. All you would do is just mm-hmm. keep rewinding it and mm-hmm. watching it over and, mm-hmm. over and over. Do you feel that was this show created by? Not that we have to go into the origins, but was it created? Sesame Street featured uh, characters that were uh, brightly colored, primary colored characters who were covered in fabric mm-hmm. and using mostly English, but sometimes nonsense dialogue. But it was set in a street and it was done by the Children's Television Workshop, which we think might have used science or education backgrounds to actually right. create it. Was this done by educators? Do we know? I don't know. Like, here's something that I picked up and I want to read you from Wikipedia. Uh, the show features an assortment of rituals that are performed throughout the course of every episode, such as playful interactions between the Teletubbies and the voice trumpets, the mishaps caused by the Nunu, the footage of live acts of live children displayed in the screens on the Teletubbies stomachs and the magical event that occurs once per episode. The event differs each time. It is often caused inexplicably and inexplicably and is frequently strange yet whimsical. Ah. So I think the show is just about things that happen. Yeah. And and things happen and the babies watch them. Uh-huh. And they're like, okay, they are now addicted to and if, this thing. To TV, basically. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. They're addicted to TV. And that was one of, if I remember back in the day when, they, they, when it was really popular, people were like, wait, why are you targeting 18 months old? month olds with a TV show. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't be watching TV in the first place. Hmm. How about actually interact with them and, and do things instead yeah. of just letting TV be your babysitter. Mm. That was that was part of the controversy. Also, Tinky Winky was gay. Yeah. We remember yeah, that, gay right? First, right? Yeah. It doesn't seem... Mr. Rogers was talking about creating content for television because he knew children were watching television and he knew that what was available to them were uh, Three Stooges and Pie Fights and... and Uncle Milty and grass <laughs> stuff. So maybe that was their intention. 
So cool. Opening salvo there. Uh, Richard, what's your first choice? Okay, so my first choice is Jabberjaw. Oh, God. (laughs) Part of the... uh, You could really pick almost any Hanna-Barbera. Yeah. Yeah. Because if we get down to it, even Scooby-Doo is kind of a fucked up premise. Yeah. If you sit down and think about it. It's a bunch of teenagers driving around with a 250-pound Great Dane that talks. Yeah. And their stoner friend solving crimes. That's yeah. weird. That's a little weird, right? Yeah. But Jabberjaw, I think, takes weird to the next level. He is, and I will also reference Wikipedia here, a 15-foot-tall, air-breathing, great white shark who is the drummer for the Neptunes. <laughs> the drummer. I forgot he was the drummer, too. Yeah. And I was researching. I was like, oh, crap. That's right. I just remember him being a big t- shark that sounded like Curly from the Three yeah, Stooges. Sh- Curly, yeah. <laughs> um, all, all of the Hanna-Barbera stuff, they just stole... Yeah. Someone else's personality. It's whatever Frank, whatever voices Frank Welker could do, essentially. <laughs> well, that, that was true with some of the Warner Brothers characters. We just didn't know those references. We didn't know that he like was... Like Humphrey Bogart yeah, or something I like that. So. Yeah, Edward right. G. Robinson meets, you know, or it's Ed Wynn or something like that. Yeah, they'd always change it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I also had forgotten this was set in like a, but I must assume is a post-apocalyptic future. Yeah, I love the, f- it's the future of underwater. Right. Like we, yeah. like something, you know, this is presaging like, the concerns about global warming and the ice caps melting. Oh, yeah. Because it's set in 2076, and everyone has been driven to underground, yeah, like underwater like civilizations. Mm-hmm. So clearly, we've really screwed up the planet, and this is, this yeah. Al Gore was right, guys. <laughs> and, and when this all comes down, the sharks are going to start talking. Uh-huh. They're going to sound like Curly, and they're going to have, you know, the catchphrases of Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. I can't get no respect. There's just nothing that there's just nothing in this. Where does this come from? No one like who who I who pitched this? I imagine at the time people um, knew they they don't know what good is, but they know what's popular. And right. Jaws wasn't too far off. Yeah, and Jaws had just happened. Like the Universal monsters went from being horror characters to friendly characters. Maybe they figured Jaws the shark was now. You know, it was time to for people to find a shark they can love. Right. I feel and, maybe PETA got involved here a little bit. Yeah. Like love a shark or, or something. Jabberjaw wasn't also, I remember being in a half hour or an hour show with Baggy Pants and the Nitwits, which was like a cat who was acting like Charlie Chaplin. They had, yeah, yeah. Hanna-Barbera had a lot of those. Let's take like a, a, a popular character from yeah. 50 years ago. Yeah. And let's just reintroduce him to the kids, and we'll just sort of make him some sort of yeah. anthropomorphic, make him a dog thing, a dog yeah. or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Um, I also I had also forgotten that um, this was an anti shark society. Oh, that they had the robots who would come in, the shark ejectors. Oh. They would frequently uh, eject Jabberjaw from whatever area or place that he was. So wow. this could also be sort of a veiled, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Commentary on mm-hmm. on race on race yeah. and, and uh, racism intolerance, yeah. and intolerance, wow. or it could be they're just lazy. I don't yeah. know. Um, I had also forgotten that he could uh, turn himself like into a trampoline or a rug. <laughs> yeah, he had sense. the sort of like like shape shifting abilities because again post post apocalyptic <laughs> hellscape. I guess if you're going to make the shark talk and sound like Curly, yeah, why not have him be a shapeshifter? Yeah, this sounds like a, a show made by committee where nobody said no. <laughs> Nobody said too much. It's like the equivalent of that that time when I first got access to the soda fountain at the 7-Eleven and I decided to make a mix of all the flavors. And it was terrible. And it was fucking horrible. It, it seems like the type of, yeah, the type of pitch meeting where a lot of these things were said with a question mark. Yeah. 
So I was like, well, maybe he could be a talking shark. Yeah. Oh, I know. Maybe if he, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he could sound like Curly from maybe. Three Stooges. Yeah. A lot of that sort of stuff was yeah. happening, I think. Yeah, yeah. They just had like a board that they worked off of and they just had like, okay, uh, 50 year old TV personalities. Yeah. Just grab one. Okay, here's an animal. Grab that one. Arthur Gottfried, and we have a mouse. All right, let's do a pun on that name. Throw them up together. There you go. All right, Michael. The premise of my second show. It's like the the island of Dr. Moreau, but with Ben Vereen as a carnival barker. That's right. The 1986 to 1988 running Zoobly Zoo. Oh, wow. I don't know this one. I, uh, I'm uh, going to show you guys a quick picture of okay. what the cast would look like. Wow. Oh, no. That is a That's Andrew a th- Lloyd Webbery kind of feel to you it. You know too. what? I have a note about cats in here. Yeah. Oh. They, to, so to describe it, it looks like a bad community theater production yeah. of of like the Wizard of Oz, like you said, crossed with... Um, Cats. Cats, or, or, yeah, yeah, or like uh, Starlight, Starlight Express. Express. Yeah. It's hard to see Ben Vereen, but, you know, he's got like an animal muzzle. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like bad yeah. makeup happening. Uh, yeah, cats ruined a lot of mm-hmm. lives, right? Yeah. The Wait, do you mean cats and... Oh, the musical. Cats mm-hmm. also, my cats, ruin our lives. Oh, yeah, yeah. Too. Um, now, I understand, having a nine-month-old, that kids... Love animals. Like every interaction in all of the books that we read mm-hmm. has some sort of, it's he's at the zoo. Like, you know, the bunny's going to the yeah. zoo and we got to learn about the animals. We learn a lot about animals and what animals look like and animals in relation to parents. Mm-hmm. But if you have, like, but watching humans that are like these human-animal hybrids, yeah. it's frightening. <laughs> and like the show right. is about, you know, the show is... The show when it was on uh, had a very diverse cast, mm-hmm. um, and it talked a lot about what a lot of kind of children's educational type shows were about, which was inclusion and creativity and having fun and l- learning and listening and all yeah. that stuff. But like, I can't get over like the chicken lady on here and her face. Is that like mm-hmm. from Kids in the Hall, the chicken lady. Yeah. yeah, she just like has this beak on her face, and it's just like. That is so frightening to me, and maybe kids don't see it. Yeah, maybe they are like, I can I can separate that out as a character, but man, it's just so bizarre mm-hmm. to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other thing that really bothered me is the Ben Vereen character. Uh, he uh, is named. Uh, let's see. Okay, chicken. One thing. Yeah, I'll get to that. One thing that really bothered me is the Ben Vereen character. He played um, Mayor Ben, who's a leopard, and he's the mayor of Zoobly Zoo. Mm-hmm. Elected, I guess? I don't know. I'm concerned about the politics oh. of this world. <laughs> like, there is something very strange about being the mayor of a zoo. Yeah. Are these guys all trapped in there? Do they have to vote for mm. him? Mm-hmm. Is he stuffing the box? Hmm. Is he kind of corrupt in a weird way? Oh. I don't know. I'm, yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on there. What does he preside over? City, is there a city commissioner as well who, who actually administers all the mayoral? Yeah, Takatu Kakatu is the city commissioner. <laughs> uh, Bravo Fox is, um, I don't know. It's just like one of those shows that like, it wasn't on very long, only mm-hmm. a couple of years. And you know, it's funny. We talked about earlier. We talked about Teletubbies being merchandised to hell. This show had no merchandise at all. Like it was almost they intentionally Whoa. wanted it to be a 
educational show, mm-hmm. and they didn't like. I think Hallmark, the Hallmark Channel, uh, was one of the owners of it or one of the first investors on yeah. it, and they all kind of purposefully didn't push this as something to be merchandised. Oh. Merchandised, and I think that could be one of the reasons why you know, nineteen eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight. Everything had a toy version of it. Sure. From even from like Sesame Street. I mean, a lot of, as we've talked about before, a lot of shows are actually created with the toys in mind first, and then they just came up with the show after that. Yeah. One of, one of, the, uh, one of the writers of the show, or uh, one of the creators said, um, it was pre-Barney, and basically we had six Barneys. Um, they had like an offer to build an entire theme park, but Hallmark turned them down. Wow. And they just never kind of took off from there. So it's like this little niche of a show that's just like... It was only on for a couple of years, but just so strange. I don't huh. know. He said Steve Binder was one of the producers who produced Pee Wee's Big Adventure and the Elvis Comeback Special and Star Wars <laughs> Holiday Special and, all, and the Time Show. And all Boy, these crazy he's been things. involved with a, that. That's a yeah. pretty broad career right there. Yeah. That's a lot of hits and a lot of misses. A lot of hits and misses, but he was a variety show producer. What is it? Do you think uh, LeVar Burton and Ben Vereen sit down at the bar and go, why the fuck we got to do all this stuff? <laughs> yeah. why, why were we both in Roots and now we're like doing this incredible drama? Now maybe, we're the the friendly face of this show. Maybe they're sitting there and they're just like Rochambeauing for who goes next. Yeah, I think that's what's <laughs> happening. Yeah, one, yeah. two, three. Okay, all right. You're now you're now a cat person. Yeah. Fuck. Oh man. Okay, so I'm gonna get the next one where I read to kids. <laughs> uh, that sounds boring. Michael B. Jordan, you're next. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, okay. Richard, go. All right, so my second one is, you know what the kids love, by the way, Jeff? They love a man in a nude bodysuit. Oh, God. Where they, <laughs> with a good body? With a with a good body. Also on my list. Oh, oh good body? wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, it had to be. Uh, this may have been where I got the idea for this in the first place. Slim Goodbody, for those of you who weren't familiar, started off on the Captain Kangaroo store, or Captain Kangaroo show. Oh, he did? Yeah, was he, he was on there for, would come on a couple of times a week, mm-hmm. and then they eventually spun him off to his own uh, PBS show, Inside Story. Well, let's, okay. Let's, but let's back up let's here back for up a second. quickly, because I want to, let's talk about the premise of the show, is let's put a Richard Simmons-ass looking guy yeah. in a yeah. skin-tight bodysuit yeah. and have him talk to little children about their bodies. Mm-hmm. And by the way, not just a, bo- not just a, a bodysuit, have it painted, be painted like a visible, yes. or the, one of the visible man yeah. cutaway things. Yes. Your organs, bones, the whole Megillah. Wiener. Everything except the wiener. Yeah. Oh, no, I imagine no that. No wiener. <laughs> that was my imagination? That's, that it was. Oh, that, that, that's, that's, that's that. your body suit. That's my, okay. <laughs> we can all agree that the 70s were just awful. Okay, counter. Ooh. Is, <laughs> the 70s were good. The 70s <laughs> were just, good. As somebody who was in college in the 70s. <laughs> um, is it important? What's wrong about the human body? There's No, no there's nothing wrong. Okay. Idealistically, the show is about science, and it's about the human body. And, and, and these are important Learning things. how to eat healthily. Yes, and... all important things. But at some point, there's just... Just the image is just so... Frightening. Yeah. Frightening. That, yeah. like, you couldn't have taken, like, the kind of 10,000-foot view of it and been like, look, I know this... I know this is what... Like, the... I know this is important. I... Science is important. Education is important. The human body is important. Knowing what your body does yeah. is important. But like the, the skinny guy in a bodysuit <laughs> with a big white afro. <laughs> Oof. I re- Oof. I remember. I am old enough to have to remember this when I was a kid. This yeah. the show that Inside Body was like eighty to eighty two. So I would have been like six when it ended. 
And so I, even at six, I kind of remember thinking, that's kind of creepy. Even like, I, I, obviously he was, success, it was a very successful show. He's gone on to do, basically make a career out of this, mm-hmm. going on yeah. tour, doing live shows. He still does it to this day. Yeah. Um, It's just, it, it's become something that I think we sort of like, oh, almost like Richard Simmons, where we just sort of accept him as yes. like this weird, like sort of pop ephemera, sort of like, yeah. Like like mum and shots or something, okay. it's just sort of out there in the wild. Yeah, um, and we don't sit down and think about if you were to pitch this show, you would be arrested. Oh. You wouldn't just be turned down. There would be like people like calling the cops and hey, keep, keep an eye on this guy. Yeah. He came here. He showed up in a nude bodysuit that had like his heart it looked like one of those body works things, but in real life it was kind of kind of creepy. That's what would happen. Yeah. Do Do you think sentiment regarding the bizarre nature of these shows is shared by the young people who watch them? Or do you think kids sit down and they watch Tinky Winky and they watch all this stuff and they think, what the fuck? It's colorful things. What do you want from me? Or they think Mr. Goodbody and they think, you know what? It's a body. It's not freaking me out. I think, here's my here's my take on this. I'm, I, I like don't want to jump in, Michael, but I think that it was different in, 19, in the early 80s when you couldn't just go on the internet and look up Hey, here's what the pancreas looks like. And oh, here's a video of someone doing getting surgery on a pancreas. Yeah. I mean, my son, I spent several hours today, not several hours, I spent like we, we spent like an hour today. He wanted to look at preserved animals oh. and like stuff like that on the on the internet. He's five. He knows that you can if he wants to wants to see what like a you know taxidermy pres- taxidermy like, type oh, thing okay. looks like. Hmm. So the range of things that you can see and I, the it, the access to educational stuff like that is yeah. so much easier for a kid today versus yeah. me as a six-year-old back in 1982. Unless it was like in an encyclopedia that might have had one of those, yeah, you know, the like plastic the, the plastic things. That might have been about it. So learning more about your body in 1982 was harder. So this mm-hmm. was probably more hmm. fun and educational. I think it definitely exists in a baby boomer generation. Like it exists in a, a post. Like if you think about what, education was in schools before something like this like obviously nothing like this has ever been on tv in in this sort of graphic and openly discussed way but you think about like before the kind of cultural revolution of the 60s and you think about oh everything that was taught through school was done in like a cartoon black and white film reel sure uh everything's your body and you yeah everything you know the subject is kind of danced around but i think this is a little bit more straightforward and though a little kind of weird, probably more honest and open and probably more healthy. Yeah. Um, My final point is like uh, this guy, uh, John Bernstein definitely makes up like the weirdo triumvirate of the (laughs) seventies with uh, Richard Simmons and uh, Doug Henning. Doug Henning. Right. Like those three guys, if you put them like, they form to make the, like a Voltron, like a of... Voltron of just weird seventies <laughs> oh guys. Is that, it like somehow like have still? Ex- there, I think I Doug Henning like, is. I this feel though. like they're all characters that would have been played by Martin Short on SCTV yeah. at some yeah. point. Yeah. Okay, we are at our halftime, and at this point, I want to employ. Uh, at this point, I want to employ. I might have to employ you, the audience, but I will implore you first before I have to pay you to go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, and leave a comment and leave a rating for our podcast, the Mount Rushmore podcast. It's a great way for other audience members uh, who may be searching for something like this to find us and connect with us like you have. 
So would appreciate five-star rating if you feel like being generous and leaving some kind of comment about what type of shows you'd like to see in the future. And another great place to do that is our social media profiles out on Twitter, out on Instagram, and out on Facebook. Other people who have left comments in the past have become guests on our show. You don't have to be. You don't have to be, but you can help craft the podcast and its direction by leaving a comment uh, as a, a something you've liked or a suggestion for a future show topic. Another thing that could happen is you could support podcasting in general by supporting some of the other up-and-coming emerging artists like ourselves who are out there, and we like to support them by sharing the promos. Here's a good one. Hey, everybody. I'm Stephen Pappas. And I'm Julie Ken. And we are the host of the Meddling Kids podcast, a review of all things Scooby-Doo. We are going through every episode in the Scooby-Doo canon to explain all the questions you meddling kids have. Right, exactly. Like... Is Fred a serial killer? How old is Fred exactly? Why does Daphne have such bad posture? Where do these kids live? And is pot legal there? (laughs) Where is this place? I think it's Florida. Anyway, stick with us for the Meddling Kids Podcast, a groovy review of all things Scooby-Doo. Also, hey guys, I got something free for you. If you're listening uh, to this on your birthday, consider it your birthday present. If it's on a major holiday, consider it our gift to you. And that is a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out Audible. That's right. Listeners of the Mount Rushmore podcast can go to audibletrial.com slash Rushmore and choose from one of the over 180,000 titles that they have there for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Uh, or you can play it on that TV that exists in your stomach. Uh, with Audible, you could check out Street Gang, The Complete History of Sesame Street by Michael Davis and Carol Spinney. That's there on Audible. That's a kid's show with, I guess, a not-so-bizarre premise. Um, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com Rushmore. Again, that's audibletrial.com Rushmore for your free audiobook. Okay, here's a premise. Three white guys. Uh-huh. Um, Spend a couple hours together in a room. It's hot. It's kind of a humid in the room. They just talk about stuff. They oh, this argue. is every podcast. Oh, yeah. It's every day. Then their podcast. shirts come off and they're just naked with all their body parts just sort oh, of dangling right. out there. I love it. I love it. You know what? You know who should watch this? Kids. Kids. Yes, kids. Okay. Uh, okay. Richard, uh, you guys both agreed on the Mr. Goodbody, so you're going up next. <laughs> Slim Goodbody. Slim Good. Don't add. Mr. Goodbody. I guess, Mr. I guess they do call him Mr. Goodbody. You're thinking about right. looking for Mr. Goodbar. They call what me Mr. Tibbs. <laughs> they call me Diane Keaton looking for Mr. Goodbar. Um, so my third one, perhaps the greatest ever kids show involving castrated chimpanzees, Lancelot oh, Link, oh, wow. Secret Chimp. Wow. This was, I remember they would start, I caught this, I think Nickelodeon was started running them in the 80s. And just thinking, this is the weirdest shit I've ever seen. Wow. It was a series that ran from 1970 to 1971. It was one of the most expensive kid shows of the time ever created. They had a million dollar budget for a season of this. Wow. Um, because you Monkey, have to, Monkeys ain't cheap. No. It's all whiskey for chimps. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> the whole plot line is basically, it's here's the pitch line, I think. It was, you remember Get Smart? Let's do that with, with chimpanzees. Yeah. No, no, not, not cartoon chimpanzees, like real chimpanzees. Oh. Now we'll get well, they'll have gum in their mouth, so it looks like they're talking, and we'll improv some dialogue on it. It's like "What's up, Tiger Lily?" but with uh, yeah. with chimpanzees. Chimps. You know, 
he kind of looks like he could have been on our Mount Rushmore of Sherlock Holmes. Because <laughs> uh, Lance Link, he's got a little bit of the Sherlock Holmes look to yeah, him. Yeah, he oh. looks he looks like a smart detective, a chimp. Yeah. So the idea, the premise was they would just film these chimpanzees um, dressed up in different characters, and have them. Most of them, they were trained so that they f- if the off-screen trainer went with his hand did the talking motion, mm. they would move their mouths like up and down. Mm. The uh, lead uh, chimpanzee, <laughs> who was a, what's his name? It's Tonga, who played Lance Link, actually had, they had to have gum in his mouth oh. to get him to do it. I don't know if ASPCA would it, well, approve was, of that anymore. It was in his contract. He wasn't just going to respond no, to some no. guy off stage. <laughs> he had a writer on that. What do you think? I'm some kind of trained monkey. <laughs> And so the plot was basically Lance Leak was a secret chimp working for Ape, the agency to, to prevent evil. With that's good. With his uh, his partner Mata Harry, mm. and of course they all had like like bad like like pun names like that. And they were going up against Chump, which is the criminal headquarters for the Underworld's master plan. <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, it, how it was, long was this show on? It was like about about six months. But they had. They also were in a rock band that they would they would occasionally cut to uh, songs of theirs called the Evolution Revolution, which was basically the chimpanzees dressed up as quote unquote hippie rock stars, and then they just have some bubblegum pop of the of the era sort of playing behind them, and you could see them trying to like monkey mime to these songs. <laughs> Good and uh, Bernie Koppel uh, vo- voiced a lot of the uh, characters on this uh, of Love Boat theme of Love Boat fame. Wow. Um, <laughs> wow. They would actually, they actually had to improv a lot of the dialogue because. Really? Well, they could. <laughs> well, they, no, they couldn't even the go chimps. off. Of, well, the they chimps didn't know their own dialogue. Oh, they, they had learned to the lines post before. write it. They had yeah. to sort of, yeah, they had to like match it up to like whatever they could get the, the mouth the to do. Laps, which yeah. a lot of times they would just randomly like start singing song lyrics at the end of a line because they just needed it to mm-hmm. match up. Lip flaps uh, should be the name of the podcast. <laughs> or a band. <laughs> or a band, yeah. Well, yeah, I remember Lip Flaps. Was that a Riot Girl? That's like a, that's like a Riot Girl band from the 90s, right? Lip Flaps? <laughs> okay, one I, of I, guys... do a, I do appreciate a show that you can get the entire series on one DVD. Yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. They, one of the Get Smart writers helped create it. Yeah, exactly. So it was sort of, it was very much uh, like, like a Get Smart type thing. Can you imagine like, Hey, you know that uh, James Bond series that's in cinema and everybody loves? Yeah. We're going to do a TV show about that. It's uh, with Don Adams. Okay, that'd be dumb. Hey, remember that Don Adams show that was really <laughs> shitty? Yeah, we're going to do Monkeys. That was not shitty. Get Smart was not shitty. Get, Get Smart was a knockoff. It was, but it was very smart and well done. Yeah, okay. I would argue that it's okay. not, not okay. shitty. Okay, but it's a knockoff get a little knockoff. Mad. I'm getting a little mad now about oh, it. Oh, good. No need to take off your shirt, sir. <laughs> I'm presenting myself <laughs> oh my, oh, to Jeff as oh, oh, flinging oh. my feces, feces at him. I'm going to bare my teeth. Um, <laughs> they actually did have all the males castrated a couple of days before the show started. Well, that's how regular TV works. <laughs> the cast of Friends. All castrated? All castrated. Huh. Well, you, you know, you don't want them, you, know, you said you don't want them to present no, nope. at Courtney Cox nope. or something like that. Apparently it didn't work and they were still constantly like like fucking and fighting with each other <laughs> the entire time. Same as friends. And one, one of the problems that they had is when the honchos from ABC came to, on the set one day, Tonga, the main uh, Lance Link, who portrayed Lance Link in the series, um, went kind of nuts and bit his, his vet- veterinarian in front of the staff. Oh, dear. So... That was uh, uh, the part of the beginning of the end. Yeah. Wow. But it's just, again, this is just one of those premises where, like you said, 
it's let's let's do a kids ripoff version of Get Smart. Mm-hmm. But let's let what can we do that makes it a little bit special? Oh, I know chimpanzees. Okay, well, because working with animals even easier than working with kids. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you: Was this for kids, or was this for adults? Uh, I was for kids. Was it? I believe it was. Oh, okay. Because there's some of those shows that, uh, like Gilligan's Island or whatever, that for the Flintstones, you know, that aired in prime time, and then kids end up uh, watching them. No, it was definitely it, it was definitely aimed for like the maybe the teenage to slightly younger crowd. Oh, okay, okay. That's I why like, that's why they had the uh, Evolution Revolution band playing. Yeah. You had the bubble bubble pop hits of the day. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for the gritty HBO remake yeah. of the show <laughs> the set, that is set for an adult audience. That's you know a. Uh, yeah, feature prime time. I love you. Look at the credits. Andy Circus is everyone <laughs> in the Lancelot Link show. Wow, cool. It's just called Link. Link. Yeah. Okay, Michael, your last. My final choice. It's short back end on this episode. Mm, hot thing. Pee Wee's Playhouse, oh, where the it. premise is, you know, just crazy. Daddy, that's it. It's cuckoo. Let's, <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, uh, you know the show is just about having fun and silliness and uh, a man-child's world of talking everything. Yeah. yeah, the original version of this had a chimpanzee playing Pee Wee Herman. There mm. you go. So, mm. uh, you know, we've talked about Pee Wee a little bit uh, on our big comebacks episode, but his comeback was after the show had gone off the air, and after the show was like wrapped up. It, his dalliances yeah. in an adult theater didn't force the show to go off air. It had been off the air, yeah. or at least new episodes off the air for like a year. Yeah. Like it was probably in syndication. Mm-hmm. But they had kind of wrapped up their 45 episodes. They'd gone on for five years. They did what they wanted to do. And what they wanted to do is create a show that was just kind of madcap and fun and zany. Yeah. And kind of could be for kids, could uh-huh. kind of be for teens, could kind of be for an adult. Like – any person watching it could kind of appreciate for appreciate it for all the different types of humor yeah. that were on the show. You know, it was a Saturday morning cartoon mm-hmm. on CBS, and it was very successful, and it had a lot of strange characters, whether they were, uh, you know, kind of claymation yeah. dinosaurs or the claymation penny sort of shorts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They had all these little shorts that you never knew what you were going to get with every week, and... Um, you know, like all these kind of children's shows, they all had a lesson. I yeah. I could not tell you a single yeah. lesson that was learned from watching Pee Wee. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was just a fun, zany show. And I think it really kind of showed off one man's kind of talent, yeah. so to speak. I always loved the Pee Wee because it seemed like it also – it had some diversity where you might not expect it. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne as mm-hmm. – was it Cowboy Curtis? I forget yeah. what the yes. character you know. Um, and these characters are all kind of larger than life, but uh, people kind of cast against type. The king of cartoons was this older kind of Dracula-looking right. kind of <laughs> guy. And um, also, like, I love this set. It seems like it featured a lot of kind of outsider art. There was a lot of weird, uh, almost the a children's TV show set as filtered through the New York hipster art scene. I was... Yeah, I was dipping into like the, you know, like we do almost every episode, dipping into like the Wikipedia of yeah. whatever. And they were talking about like the art direction on the set. And I guess on like the first day of shooting or the first day of like set production, the kind of master builders were there to say, okay, well, do you guys have the plans for what you want the set to look like? By the way, also the masturbator was there. Yeah. 
and uh, yeah, and uh, the kind of creators of the show and the writers, small high five over there, uh, were kind of like, uh, oh, hold on, give us a few minutes, we'll draw. Yeah, <laughs> the set looks like it was built in a few in the last, hours. Yeah, yeah, it looks like just hodgepodge and thrown together, mm-hmm. and um, I, you know, it was. I, I do like that it feels like kids playhouse yeah it's bits and pieces of everything it's mm-hmm. a person who's uh into everything all at the same time and from any moment he can go from his globe to his big dumb chair to his you know ants that are in the thing to his top yeah. fruit in the refrigerator to the mount like everything is just like as a kid like you know i see a lot of this stuff this is obviously too adult for felix but i see right. a lot of this as like Felix, when he's in, like, his old pack-and-play, playing with toys, he'll pick up his little toy egg crate thing that has, like, the goofy faces in it. And two seconds later, he looks over at his toy truck, and then he tries to put the eggs in the toy truck. And then mm-hmm. two seconds later, he's picking up this book that he can chew on. Yeah. And then 30 seconds later, he's banging on, away on the little, like, xylophone thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, Pee-wee is very much a character that's just, like, impulse, impulse. I'm, yeah. I'm going from this to this. I'm frenetic. and Right. And he's definitely... Um He's not the bad kid because we meet the bad kids, but he's not this. He's not necessarily the kid who has this, uh, who's giving us the lesson. He's kind of learning it along with us. Right. And I do feel like Pee Wee synthesized for television what Tim Burton had created for feature film. Um, that was this kind of bizarre world that was very told from that kind of kid's eye point of view. Although he's a an adult kid, um, and you couldn't get. Uh, Tim Burton on TV back then. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, and, and my my first uh, kind of introduction to Pee Wee Herman was actually watching him on Letterman. Oh yeah, before yeah, like Pee Wee's yeah. Big Adventure or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. When he was just like this weird character that was a Groundlings character. Yeah, I think had, they had been doing the Pee Wee show at Groundlings, and then it but, led to Paul Rubens having like uh, a TV special, having or comedy bits where he, yeah, he was not a stand-up, so he'd do. Stuff like putting tape on your nose or something weird, yeah. Right, and and so it's interesting to me that it's a show that started off developed for adults, and sort of as it got filtered down through yeah, these yeah, yeah. different iterations, it becomes more. I want to say kid targeted, I guess, even no. though that still retained. I would say definitely is, even yeah. though it still retained that sort of nod, wink, wink sort of thing that let the adults know that it was, hey, this is also for you as well. Yeah. Um, it reminded me, it's like a funhouse version of like the Soupy Sales yeah, show. Yeah, I was going to say Soupy, yeah. You could see all these shows that, that I'm sure Paul Rubens watched as a kid. Mm-hmm. We mentioned Captain Kangaroo earlier. That or Howdy Doody or the Bozo the Clown show. All that kind of mm-hmm. like where it's like a single character and going to their wacky world. Yeah. And even today, I know they have the Elmo's World on Sesame Street, which has now taken over like half of the damn show. Mm. But that's also this... It feels like a cultural kin to Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh, interesting. Well, that's a fun choice. Uh, I do wonder, with all these suggestions, we as adults are interpreting them as bizarre children who do not have a 30-year tested template for television, what good storytelling looks like, <laughs> might just kind of... Already their lives are weird. Like I think as a kid, like you try to explain Easter to a kid... <laughs> Wait, a rabbit delivers eggs, but I dyed these eggs just, we dyed these eggs three days ago. Now you're going to hide them in our house. Like there's all, the world is a crazy weird place. So I wonder, 
if kids just kind of go with the flow and say, at least it's not news. Okay, now, uh, yeah. Can I ask Richard? Like in a few years, I'm sure, sure. I'm going to be hiding Easter eggs for my child. Um, so you dye them all together. At, at, how do you exp- okay? How do you explain to your child that the same eggs that you hid? That, does the East Bunny come by and pick them up? You use different eggs. We, That's a lot of trouble. See, we do. Guys, turn off the turn off the Kids? turn off the podcast. Turn if Simon's the watching, <laughs> listening. Um, we do the kind of painting of decorating of the actual eggs, like the hard boiled eggs, mm-hmm. as a separate thing. We just you know we do that. That's our fa- a family activity. But then the Easter Bunny comes and uh, is it Ben Vereen dressed up as the Easter Bunny? To- <laughs> And he Seeing tap the dances. From Pippin. <laughs> We've got magic to do for me and you. The kids hear him tap dancing outside. <laughs> they know it's Caesar. And but we hide like the, the plastic eggs. And we'll oh, put okay. little yeah. candies or maybe some coins mm. or whatever okay. we're give the kids. Summons to appear in court. <laughs> little uh, little air, nuts. <laughs> airplane, bo- airplane <laughs> bottles of whiskey. <laughs> no, whatever we're gonna put in there for the kids. Yeah. Little meth of uh, little poppers. <laughs> Ooh. Somehow we managed to make it to the very end without talking about the uh, world of Sid and, Sid and Marty Croft. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. And you could have done. I could have just. I could have done the. Uh, yeah. The wheel and just spun and just picked one, but yeah. HR Puff and stuff. Uh, I've never seen anything outside of Land of the Lost by those. Oh guys. really? Oh really? Uh, it just it totally passed me by. Okay. Never. So I have no reference. Like I only have reference of them as images, mm-hmm. but I could I don't know anything. Sigmund and the Sea Monster. Oh, uh, you didn't. Hit, well, HR preference. None of that stuff hit me. I had it because of bad uh, independent TV stations oh. where I grew up that would mm. still air them on reruns. You oh, know, really? Thirty years later, mm-hmm. or what? What have you? Yours is HR Puff and stuff. HR Puff and stuff. Yes. Um, I'm gonna try to lay out the plot. It's basically a stranger in a strange land type story. Um, but there's a boy who's been shipwrecked, and he has a talking flute, and he is uh, taken on a boat ride to a, uh, a kooky, wacky island called Living Island. Is this dream you have? Could you <laughs> do you have it repeatedly? This dream. And then I'm having sex with my mother. Are you talking? Is this <laughs> flute something you're holding on to? You put your mouth to the tip of this flute? <laughs> sometimes the flute's just a flute, Jeff. It's sometimes Sigmund Freud. Um... <laughs> And it turns out that there's a witch called Wilhelmia W. Witchy-Poo, <laughs> who had uh, taken the, given the boat there and caused this all to happen because she wanted the talking flute for herself. Just like the sea hag from uh, Popeye. Yeah. However, there was a, uh anthropomorphic dragon named H.R. Puff and Stuff who was able to find out about the plot and along with these uh, <laughs> Kling and Clang who kind of look like the... Uh, the hamburger a little yeah. bit crossed with like a, a Bobby. Mm-hmm. We're able to rescue the kid and take him back to HR Puff and Stuff's cave yeah. where the uh, witch's magic doesn't have any effect. This is the plot of Twelfth Night by William Shakespeare. <laughs> I think so. it's also, yeah. I, I, I thought it was the seventh uh, sign. The Ing- Ingmar Bergman. Uh, <laughs> HR Puff and Stuff was the mayor of this place too? He was also the mayor. There are a lot of, there's a lot of political mayor. intrigue in these shows. We could do we could do a dark reboot, a la <laughs> Chris Nolan, and yeah. I, 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 a political thing. And yes. I'm trying to explain. I, I I would if you haven't seen what HR Puff and stuff looks like. They say that he's a dragon. There is no possible no, way no. he's a dragon. He he looks like a a kind of like a Pac Man. Yeah, but like if crossed with like a melting clown. 
That's Girl. roughly what I would say. Girl, those cowboy boots do not work for him. <laughs> and the whole world is just, it's the Sid and Marty Croft world where everything is way too bright and psychedelic. And they tried to claim that this show wasn't about drugs. The show was called HR Puffin Stuff, for God's sakes. Yeah. Like, they, they can deny it all they want. We all know what the deal was. This was made in the 70s. Part of the Croft Superstars banner. All these shows were heavily under the influence of some fine weed, I'm sure, if not more. Mm -hmm. Do do you, again, I I do remember as a child thinking this was pretty fucking trippy. That Sesame Street seemed a lot more grounded. That even though I loved fantasy, that this seemed uh, like they were force-feeding psychedelic colors (laughs) through the cathode ray right into my brain. It's just so different looking than anything else. And there's no, the acting's all uniformly really bad. Yeah. From the kids to the people in the costumes. Mm -hmm. And so everything is just very like stock theater, which kind of almost enhances sort of the slowness and the trippiness of it all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and they would, they would always have, um, because they're on the living island, anything could become an animate object mm-hmm. at any time. And they always sort of, mm. if something again, they would take on the personas of like Edward G Robinson or Mae West or something like because that. Because of course, yeah. yeah. Because the kids, the kids, they love the, they love the actors from the 1930s. <laughs> I don't know what was going on with that. I don't know what's going on with any of this. I, I just remember being a kid. And again, it was on the local mm-hmm. channel 53, the local indie station, independent station in Fresno. And it was just, you would contrast it to even what was in the 80s, like what they were showing, like the more conventional, modern stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it just felt it felt like it was something from not just another time, but like another culture. Yeah. It just felt so weird. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one thing that... So there's Sigmund and the Sea Monsters was another uh, Sid and Marty Croft. With Johnny Whitaker. Yeah. Uh, like what, what that is, he's literally a fish out of water because he's like... In a home with some actual kids and things like that. He, right. He's like, it's almost like Alf. He's this puppet thing. He's this alien that lives in a home with H.R. Uh, Puff and stuff. It's uh, Jack Wilde's character is the one who's out the out of water. Right. But it feels like there's no... Um, when everything is fantastical, it's almost like there's nothing... Nothing stands out because it's just all... Every crevice is filled with this kind of weird alive creatures and things like that. That's that's why I felt like HR Puff and stuff was a was a sugar overdose. It was like eating a Twinkie and then washing it down with high C, you know, fruit punch. Jolt Jolt, or yeah, something, yeah. Just like just I remember it. Well, it, it there Sid and Marty Croft started off doing the the puppets at least for the uh the Olympics costumes. or the World's Fair. Well, that's where HR Puff and stuff got started, but they actually got their start on the banana splits. Oh, they did? Which almost made my list. The banana splits mm-hmm. of Tra-La-La fame. Yeah. And again, that was another show that was just, the way it was shot was so like, it was almost like shot, like, it felt like it was being, it had been shot like at a faster speed and then slowed down and then sped back yeah. up again and everything was like too bright mm-hmm. and oversaturated. Mm-hmm. And they just sort of took that and just ran with it. Yeah. The the McDonald Land characters that I recall as a kid that we all Sure. See. immediately i thought of i thought of uh the big mac yeah mayor mccheese yeah. and grimace Looking like at these pictures guess they approached mcdonald's approached sid and marty croft to do 
these characters for oh, them. Really? And they said, sure, we'll do it for this large amount of money. And McDonald's said, fuck you very much. We're going to go <laughs> make our own. And then Sid Marty Croft sued their asses because it was exactly oh, wow. H.R. Puffin stuff that they created these characters that look just like their characters. So. Yeah, yeah. The the two cop guys are, are yeah. basically the hamburger. Yeah. Hmm. Guys, um, this was amazing. This is amazing. You know, I love... I love not only are we judging these um, shows based on how time has placed them, we're also judging them as adults looking back um, and, and, and analyzing something that, that children are watching. It's kind of created for children. Um, but you know what? Weird is weird. <laughs> yep. And when you, you just smell weird on stuff. And I think even as a kid, I remember seeing Mr. Goodbody or whatever and going, this fucker's <laughs> like... This is like the guy who sits in the parking lot at our school. <laughs> Mr. Good Goodbody sounds like a bad mafia. He like, does. Like, <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah. go see Mr. Goodbody no. if he's good for you. Yeah. So um, thank you for all your great suggestions. Here are the ones that stood out for me. Um, uh, Pee-wee. Loved Pee-wee. Uh, Sid and Marty Croft. Um, Michael, your scathing indictment of Teletubbies. <laughs> Um, I took them down. I took them the down. Yeah. Congratulations. You're now yeah. a late 90s uh, sit, uh, yeah. stand-up comedian, Michael. Guess Good what? Job. Guess what? Fanta girls, you bitches are next. <laughs> I want any. <laughs> Macarena guys, I got yeah. you in my sights. Yeah. Um, and just because it made me laugh so goddamn much to think about it and how much as a kid I actually kind of liked it. Jabberjaw. <laughs> so this has been the Mount Rushmore of bizarre children's television show premises. I, as always, am Wacky McCooksville. I don't get no respect. I'm Michael. You will not, you will not learn me into it.